Take your Bibles and turn to uh, Colossians chapter 1 as we'll uh, tonight be rounding out this, uh, this first chapter of the book of Colossians. So uh, specifically tonight we're going to be uh, considering verses 26 through 29, but just to, just to kind of get the flow of what Paul is saying here, we'll start reading up in, up in verse 24. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, The mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Now, at the close of this first chapter of Colossians, Paul is is laying out the, the gospel that he proclaims and explaining what he's doing and why he is doing it. Last week in verses 24 and 25, we saw how he rejoiced in his sufferings for the sake of the body of Christ and how, according to the the stewardship of God or God's arrangement in his household, Paul was made a minister of the gospel so that he might carry out the preaching of the word of God, the proclamation of the gospel. And here now in these, these closing four verses of the chapter, we see Paul explaining the preciousness of the gospel the subject of this gospel, and the manner in which the gospel is proclaimed. And so as we consider verses 26 through 29 tonight, we'll be doing so under those three headings. Number one, the preciousness of the gospel. Number two, the subject of the gospel. And number three, the manner of gospel proclamation. And so first of all, the preciousness of the gospel. Paul speaks there in verses 26 and 27 of the gospel as a mystery. Now, by definition, a mystery is something that is hidden, something secret, unknown. In my house right now, there are a bunch of books floating around that are are mysteries and uh, things that are unknown in these books that I guess by the time these books are read, the mystery will be made known. And so it was with the gospel. That is, it was so with the gospel at a certain time and in a certain sense. And so Paul says in verse 26 that the mystery had been hidden from the ages and generations. Ages and generations in the past, but he says it has now been manifested to his saints. And we see this idea elsewhere in, in Paul's letters where he speaks of the gospel as a mystery that's been kept secret 
but has now been revealed. And so just think, uh, for instance, of the, the benediction in Romans 16, 25 to 27. And there Paul says this, Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. And so he speaks of the gospel as a revelation of a mystery that's been kept secret for ages, long ages past, but now manifested. And similarly, he says in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, he says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so there was, there was something mysterious, something unknown about the gospel prior to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of what was written concerning him. In other words, the fullness of the message and of God's plans of what he would accomplish through the Messiah were not so well known in the Old Testament times until they were revealed. Now, for sure, the prophets had spoken of Christ and his coming and of what he would accomplish. Just think, think of the prophecies of Christ's advent, places like Isaiah 7, Behold, the virgin will be with child. Isaiah 9, Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. Think of Isaiah 53, the prophecy of Christ's death for our sins and yet his final vindication and glory in the end. And likewise, the prophets had spoken of the gospel going out to the nations. Think of, of the, uh, the Psalter in, uh, in some of the, the Psalms, the, the late 90s in the Psalms. They, they speak of, of the gospel going out to the, the islands and the coastlands. And similarly, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, 6 that we read this evening. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And you'll recall that when Jesus was presented in the temple as a baby, that this was what was on the lips there of those who came to see him on the, the lips of that godly man in Luke chapter 2. And so these, these things were prophesied and were known to a degree in the past, but the degree to which they were known was limited. Though Abraham saw Christ's day and rejoiced, nevertheless, Abraham's knowledge of Christ was limited. I think the Huguenot preacher Jean Dale described the condition of the Old Testament believers quite helpfully when he said that they believed in his coming and their redemption and the restoration of all things by his means. And they desired him and waited affectionately for him, embracing his promises afar off. But they did not distinctly comprehend the mystery as we do at this day. And so uh, from, from Genesis 3.15 on, there was promises of the Christ who was to come. But think of Adam and Eve on the day of the fall in the garden when they received the word of God that the seed of the woman would, would crush the head of the serpent. That's, that's all they had to go on. They didn't, they didn't know any more than that. 
but progressively it became more and more known until Christ himself came. There was greater revelation that was to come when Christ came. And thus, just think in terms of, of Hebrews 1.1, in terms of the, the past before Christ, and then the degree to which the mystery became clear when Christ came. And so the writer says in Hebrews 1.1, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. They had revelation in the past, but something much greater had come with the coming of Christ. Now, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, has come and has fulfilled what the prophets had foretold, and the mystery has been revealed. You know that aha moment when you're reading Sherlock Holmes or Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys, and you're like, ah, wait a minute, now I see. This is it, with, with the coming of Christ and the full proclamation of the gospel. Who the Messiah is and what he did and how he has brought in the Gentiles to be fellow citizens with the believing Jews in God's household. The, the two becoming one new man. All of this has now been revealed. And so we find in the latter part of verse 26 and verse 27 here that this has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? And so God has revealed this, this mystery to his saints, his people, his holy ones, all who know these truths savingly, all who know these truths concerning Christ and trust in him and turn from their sins are saints. And as we see in, in verse 27, that it is to his saints that God willed to make known the riches of the glory of of this mystery. You see how Paul speaks there of, of the gospel, the, the riches of the glory of this mystery. In other words, the gospel is precious. The gospel is rich in its glory. Just, just think the way Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 13. This is Matthew 13, 44 to 46, where he said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus said, this is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the, the message of Christ and his coming is like. The gospel is a precious gift. And Jesus said there also in Matthew 13, Blessed are your eyes, speaking to his hearers, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so having the gospel is truly a precious thing. It's more precious, actually, than we think. And therefore it is worth giving our all to believe and obey this gospel to the point should need be of parting with earthly possessions, earthly comforts, to the point of suffering mockery, ridicule, persecution, even death. And the gospel is so precious because of the subject of the gospel, because of who the gospel is about. And that is our second point, subject of the gospel. And Paul is abundantly clear who the subject of the gospel is. The subject of the gospel, quite simply, is 
Jesus. In other words, the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. Paul says here that he proclaims the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. His proclamation of the riches of the glory of the mystery is his proclamation of Christ. The good news that Paul proclaims is all about Jesus. It's about Jesus as the divine Son of God. Jesus as the true Son of Man, Son of Abraham, Son of David, born of Mary. It is Jesus who went to the cross and died to reconcile sinners to God. It is Jesus who became a curse for us. Jesus who rose three days later for our justification. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father. It is Jesus in whom all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. It is Jesus who has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification. It is Jesus who knew no sin and yet became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is Jesus who will come again to judge the living and the dead. It is Jesus who will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and obey the gospel. It is Jesus who will come to be glorified in his saints on the last day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. It's all about Jesus. And so Paul proclaims the riches of this mystery. He proclaims the mystery of Christ. The parallel passage in Ephesians 3.8 speaks of the unfathomable riches of Christ. Unfathomable. In other words, there are riches to be found in Christ that are far deeper and greater than any of us have yet known. As long as you have walked with Christ as deep as your fellowship with him may have been, there is still more. So run to Christ and call out for help. Ask for his gracious hand to help you dig in to those minds and find grace that you need for life and godliness. We should be looking nowhere else because all that we need is found in him. And therefore, we should approach the throne of grace with freedom, with confidence and boldness because we come to the Father not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus, the captain of our salvation. All, and for all who are in Christ, for all who truly trust in him, Christ is in us. Christ lives in us. And his presence, Paul says, is his presence in us is the hope of glory. Right? He says there in verse 27 that he's proclaiming the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Of glory. Now, biblical hope, we could say, is, is a firm expectation, a confident expectation. It's not simply wishful thinking. I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow because I want to go camping. It's not that kind of hope. It's a firm expectation based, based on facts that are known, truths that are believed. Christ in us is the hope of glory, the confident expectation that we will be glorified in Christ and will reign with him forever in glory in the new heavens and new earth. His indwelling presence in us now gives us this confident expectation for what will be ours in him hereafter forevermore. So Christ is the subject of the gospel. And from there Paul speaks of his manner of proclaiming the gospel, the the manner in which the gospel is proclaimed, and that's our, our third point for this evening, the, the manner of gospel 
proclamation. And so he says there in verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And thus as he lays it out here, there are two components to the proclamation of Christ. Here he mentions admonishing and teaching. He says this is done with all wisdom. There is a purpose for his proclamation of Christ, an end goal in mind, and that is to present every man complete in Christ. And there is also a power, a strength that undergirds this faithful proclamation of Christ. As you see there in verse 29, Paul says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to all his power, which works mightily within me. And so Christ's power was the means by which this gospel was proclaimed. Now let's, let's think about each of these in turn. The, the two components of proclaiming Christ that Paul mentions here are those of admonishing and teaching. To admonish, briefly, is to warn. To, to teach is, is to instruct, to instruct in, in the facts. To quote the Huguenot preacher Jean Dale again, he says, the first comprises all the remonstrances that are made to sinners, whether to reprehend their faults, to excite their, their diligence, to comfort their sorrows, or to remind them of any other part of their duty. The second contains all the lessons of the heavenly doctrine, the exposition of each article of the mystery of godliness. And so you, you can understand the two parts. To admonish is, is to warn, to, uh, to put someone on notice if they, if they need to be, to be warned on account of their sin, to be instructed as to, as to what they ought to do. And then the second, to teach, is, is to instruct in, in the truth, to, to instruct in, in the gospel truths of Christ and his coming and what he has accomplished to us. And as Dale was, uh, was preaching uh, a sermon on, on that text, he went on and made, a, I think, a very keen observation. And he observed that, that sometimes people will like listening to a sermon on doctrine and being instructed in, in the great and wonderful truths. But when it comes to the admonition to, to be warned for their sins or instructed about their duties, put on notice as to what they ought to be doing, that uh, is not always so pleasing to one to hear those kinds of things. And Dale said, Faithful brethren, since you know that such is the nature of our charge, you should not think it strange or unkind when we execute it in this manner among you. In other words... We have to do both. This is, this is what the proclamation of Christ involves. It involves both teaching and also admonition. And Paul says, this is done with all wisdom. Right? He says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. And so may God grant ears not only to you, but also to me to receive such admonitions as the proclamation of Christ requires. We all need to be taught in the truths. We need to know the, the mercies of God extended to sinners like us, but we also need the admonitions and corrections which come from the Word of God. If we're honest with ourselves, if we know ourselves at all, why would we ever think that we are beyond receiving admonitions and corrections? I certainly know that I need them. So Paul proclaims Christ by means of admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. And then the purpose, he says, is that 
he may present every man perfect or every man complete in Christ. And this perfection or completeness of which he speaks is not a, not a sinless perfection for such a thing will never be in any one of us this side of eternity. But rather the per- perfection he speaks of is our grasping the perfection of Christ through faith. It's when we take refuge in Christ and lay hold on his perfection, confessing our own sinfulness and our own need for forgiveness and redemption and renewal. This is the perfection. This is the completeness in Christ. And so that's the goal of this gospel teaching and this gospel admonition, is that every man may be presented complete in Christ, believing what we ought to do, and also doing our duty, refraining from sin and doing the good that we are commanded to do, being renewed by the Spirit into the image of Christ. And finally, Paul tells us about this power that is undergirding his gospel proclamation. He says he labors and strives according to the power of Christ which worked mightily within him. Now, Paul worked hard. As, as we know, you read the book of Acts, you read the New Testament, especially uh, a, a letter like, uh, like 2 Corinthians where he lays out all of his sleepless nights, his toils, his shipwrecks, dangers on every side that confronted him as an apostle. He worked hard. He sometimes worked a second job making tents to support himself and his friends and colleagues as they proclaimed the gospel. But Paul worked hard, not in his own strength, but in that of Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that he even worked harder than all of the other apostles. But he says, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And thus he says to the Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think gospel ministers are here reminded that we have to take special pains in, in our calling, to work hard at it, all the while relying on the grace and strength of Christ to strengthen us. And so we've seen, as we've worked through these closing verses of Colossians 1, the preciousness of the gospel, the subject of the gospel, and the manner in which the gospel is proclaimed, but what do we, what do, we do with all of this? Well, I think given all of these things, given the preciousness of it, that it was kept hidden for ages and generations past, but is now revealed in the proclamation of Christ, given that the subject of the gospel is Jesus Christ himself, and is the message of who he is and what he came to accomplish, and given that this is proclaimed for our benefit, that we may be presented as complete in Christ, given all of that, I think what we ought to walk away with tonight is to recognize what a treasure we have in Christ and what treasure is ours now that Christ has us. He has us and he holds us. And therefore, we must never let go of him, never let go of his truth. We must cling to him. We must be faithful to him, come what may. We must not refuse to hear his word, whether that means being cut a little bit by it, cut to the heart, convicted of sin, which we would naturally rather cling to and hold on to rather than hear the the sting of an admonition from his word, or whether it means being instructed further in the truth of his word. We must never... Never refuse him who speaks through his word, but rather in all things and in all ways. Let us be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and let us give him glory 
now and to the day of eternity and recognize what a precious treasure we have in Christ. The mystery has been revealed. It was kept hidden for ages. But now the aha moment has come. Christ has been revealed. The gospel has come to us. And so let's rejoice in it and cling to it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would keep our hearts from thinking little of your gospel, thinking little of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to realize the riches that are in Christ, the unfathomable riches that are in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, new lives, hearts changed. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that we would never think this a small thing, but that we would rejoice in you and that we would serve you with all of our hearts. We ask your blessing. We ask your help. In Jesus' name, amen.